It's part two of Where the Road Takes Me. This evening, close to the centenary of the death of Liam Lynch, I'm speaking to historian and author Gerard Shannon, author of To Declare a Republic, a new and comprehensive biography on the undisputed leader of Irish republicanism. Being a comprehensive biography, the most difficult part of this programme is deciding what to omit in order to facilitate our time limit. Well, they fought together during the War of Independence, but were on opposite sides during the Civil War. So what was the relationship really like between Michael Collins and Liam Lynch, particularly during the Civil War? Well, I mean, when it, when it comes to leading into the War of Independence... With respect, anyway, during the Civil War. With respect, anyway, so, so, I mean, when it comes to Michael Collins, yeah, there was enormous respect there. Now, they're very different characters. Like, Michael Collins is very larger than life. You know, he was fond of having a scrap with his mates. Like, Liam Lynch was maybe certainly a bit more quieter and gentlemanly in that regard. But they both inspired incredible loyalty to his men under their command. Now, I think Liam Lynch is more of a natural soldier than Michael Collins. Like, Collins is an amazing organiser and administrator. I know we all know the photos of him in uniform. That's only in the last weeks of his life. I mean, he didn't participate directly in ambushes. He was involved in gunfights in 1916 and obviously tragically on the day of his death but there's big differences in the character and what the kind of work that the men did but very early on they established a good working relationship. Liam Lynch approves the raid on Araglan RIC barracks in April 1920. Now it's notable that he approves this action and his great comrade Mick Fitzgerald carries it out without the approval of IRA General Headquarters and Liam is actually up in Dublin at the time at an IRA GHQ meeting and he says to Pax Whelan who was involved in the water for the IRA, he says, I've started something that's going to shake up these fellows. And what he means is the IRA GHQ leadership under Collins and Mulcahy. Now, we don't know Mulcahy's reaction. He was IRA chief of staff, but Collins, of course, was director of intelligence, shows Liam the newspaper the next day mentioning the raid on the uh, RSC barracks in Eric Glenn. And he says to Lynch, well done, and pass on his congratulations to Fitzgerald and the other men involved. So uh, and that's kind of the relationship Collins had a lot of the commandants on the ground, like to kind of like, you know, behind the scenes, he's like, oh, good job and all that. Like, But uh, Sean Myrtle, who was secretary to the IRB Supreme Council, he writes a brilliant and published memoir in Mulcahy's papers, and he said Liam Lynch was Michael Collins's favourite commander in the south of Ireland. And again, Liam Lynch often made frequent trips up to Dublin at great risk during the War of Independence to kind of inform IRAGHQ directly what was going on on the ground in Cork Number 2, but also to kind of make requests for arms. He didn't get he didn't get many arms from IRAGHQ, none of them did. But like this cultivates strong relations with Collins, like he meets him, he talks to him and so on. And I, I think Collins and Mulcahy would have great respect for Lynch's dedication to the role and his soldiery bearing and so on and that he took the role so seriously and kept them informed as to what's going on because as I said a lot of the local IRA commanders um, Tom Barry would come to mind particularly Seamus Robinson and South Tipperary they didn't have any time really for IRA GHQ and I think that's a big kind of contri- contribution to the treaty split later on like the bad relations there already relationship then with Tom Barry I know it soared particularly towards the end but you were saying to me earlier on that it was never really good yeah I don't think him and Tom Barry had a great closeness like Tom Barry didn't, doesn't directly work with Lynch until Lynch is appointed OC the first Southern Division in March 1921 now Tom Barry writes very well actually in Guerrilla Days in Ireland he was very impressed by Liam Lynch's reputation but I don't think they cultivated a very close relationship I mean Tom Barry joins the first Southern Division staff and then the truce is declared several weeks later so they don't really get a chance to work closely together They're there's an instant during the truce where Tom Barry was the liaison officer between with the IRA, for the IRA with the British Army in the city and there was kind of the British Army was sort of drilling and marching openly which is a violation of the terms
towards the truce and Barry gets very impatient with Lynch he feels Lynch uh, wrong and I, I think Barry thinks this wrong I think Lynch is absolutely correct on this that he feels that Lynch is not kind of supporting him and he resigns his position as liaison officer and tries to quit the IRA and then Richard Mulcahy who was IRA chief of staff goes out to Barry and Mulcahy says Lynch I back you up completely on this Barry's been very you know petulant and so on but during the Civil War Tom Barry escapes Gormanstown camp Liam Lynch appoints him operations officer over you know guerrilla ambushes and that and Barry's very successful in some of these particularly at uh, Carrick and Shore and uh, Lynch is delighted at Barry's appointment and what he's able to do and he says this in comms but uh, the relationship there was a little in early 1923 like Tom Barry doesn't see the fight as worth continuing he works with a Republican priest called Father Duggan to try and open peace negotiations with the Free State but you know it's important to note that you know while Barry may have disagreed with Lynch and he made no secret of this he still has great respect for him I mean he tells Lynch what he's doing he tries to bring Lynch on side it's not necessarily a rogue peace effort he's trying to go look I'm talking to Father Duggan we're talking to other people on the property side this is what they're saying you know maybe we should open peace negotiations it's all about bringing Lynch on side because I think an underrated aspect of his leadership during the Civil War is that he still carries the respect of those under his command and a very strong loyalty regardless of how critical they were of him at the time and in their memoirs decades later you know a lot of them have the benefit of living to old age and writing their recollections decades later where they can kind of reflect and of course Liam isn't there to defend himself or argue what he was thinking at the time. One of the great stories in your book is the one about the bank robbers and how Liam Lynch and his colleagues dealt with that. Yeah, and it's a brilliant example of not only Liam Lynch's leadership, but how the IRA established themselves as kind of an alternative policing authority. Because when this bank robbery occurred in Mill Street in March 1920, the RAC has withdrawn from a lot of the small towns, particularly in Cork and so on. So this allows the IRA to step into the breach as a sort of a Republican police. And there was a formal body called the Republican police eventually set up. So there's a robbery from the bank in Mill Street. There's differing accounts as to how much. One estimate is £19,000 at the time, which, of course, was a considerable amount of money. For then, yeah. definitely. like So, Liam Lynch goes to the local battalion, uh, of course, would have been under his authority as OC of Cork Number 2, and he sees little as being done to kind of capture, capture those responsible. There is a suggestion that one of the robbers identify themselves as member, a member of the IRA, which Liam Lynch would have known wouldn't have been great for their reputation if that was true. Now, he knew it wasn't true, but the worry, of course, is that people would actually believe this. So, Liam Lynch writes to IRA GHQ, he writes to Richard Mulcahy, Garoida Sullivan, kind of asking how to proceed with this. And Mulcahy tells him, just leave it to the local OC of the military battalion to do this and Lynch just, he sees an opportunity here to kind of, you know, really heighten the IRA's reputation in ministry, so he takes charge personally of the investigation, He like, like with any investigation, he, he surveys the area he he brings in witnesses he has the men capture those who are suspected of being responsible they're held they're interrogated now of course the IRA didn't have a prison at the time so what they do is they kind of deport them they they tell them to leave the country and this is this is common in other instances throughout the country but in this instance like he they rounded up the robbers and Lynch retrieved the money and he brings it back to the bank manager in Mill Street and he and he says well look here's the money I'm giving it back to you we've done an investigation we've got those responsible and the from the money that he hands back the bank manager and we don't have the exact sum but he, he offers Lynch he gives Lynch a reward and Lynch is like why are you doing this and he goes well you know you, you've done what any good like police should do like you capture those responsible and you return the money so this is a reward to you my good man that, that according to one account he says so and Lynch was greatly surprised at this he wasn't expecting this you know because Lynch particularly as a like he'd been on the run he'd left his employment in Fermoy in late 1919 he'd been on the run he would have lived a very frugal existence you know he wasn't in this for the money or the glory he was in it for the cause of Irish freedom so I think that would have been a great kind of um, 
a relief and a sort of a validation of what he was doing that, you know, you know, it showed that the IRA were serious business in terms of, you know, being the army of the people, you know, even for just something like this, a bank robbery and returning the money to the local bank and so on. But it's a very important moment during Liam Lynch's leadership during the War of Independence. Liam Lynch was also congratulated on a job well done by Michael Collins. This, after all, was a significant operation by Lynch and the IRA. It enhanced the credibility of not only the IRA, but also the Irish government, and in the process, destroying the negative propaganda campaign by the British authorities. Having such a high command in the IRA, and so many men under his command, we can but just imagine the pressure that Liam Lynch was under. Add to that his complete and utter dedication to the independence of his country. All of that must have had a severe effect on his health. Nuala O'Riordan from Michels and Bandon is Liam Lynch's grandniece. Obviously they were on the move, constantly on the move, and uh, moving between safe houses, um, sleeping out in the open, not very much medical attention if they needed it, the absolute minimum. And it was, you know, the long after a long, long number of years, really. So he, he was totally dedicated. Um, he had two brothers who were in religious orders, and I, I think he took his cause almost, you know, like that, you know, that he was, they were dedicated, that he was absolutely dedicated. It wasn't anything to do with any gain for himself, but it was purely, this was his way, and he was going to contribute whatever he could for our now, you brought along a letter as well, and you're going to read that for me. Just tell me a little bit about it first, and who wrote that letter, and who was it written to? It was a letter written after Liam Lynch had died. It was from his youngest bro- brother and his confidant, I suppose, really, Father Tom, who was uh, based in Australia. And I think he was really sent to Australia at the time as a priest to keep him from <laughs> far away from what was happening in Ireland. And this is a letter written to my grandfather, John Lynch, and... At the time he was interment, I'm not sure whether he was either in Limerick or in Newbridge at the time, but um, he was certainly interred around the time that Liam was shot. And in fact, John and his brother James were not allowed out to attend the funeral. So this was a letter written by Father Tom to my grandfather. And it's dated the 6th of August, 23, and it was received on the 18th of September. So quite a file, wasn't quite a text message in those days. So it's actually written from the Bishop's House in New South Wales and it says, Hello Jack, it's 11.30 at night and snowing in the month of August as I decide to drop you a line by steamer homeward bound tomorrow. I don't want to break your solitude in your cell so the simple words hello there will be enough to signify a good many nice things I could say. I get all the news from home and mother's keeping the flag flying there all right. I hope you aren't worrying about Liam. He always escaped jail And whether your wardens like it or not, a bolder heart never beat for Ireland than his. And thank God he was privileged to die in the only way proper for an Irishman, a soldier on the field. Tis often in the bush I repeat with joy, glory to your spirit, Liam. Say me to all the lads I knew and others. Cheer up, old boy. I know, as well as those who jailed you know, that you are in prison not on your own merits, but because you bear a name, rather a relationship, to the greatest foe that England ever had to face in Munster. Your fond brother, Father Liam. 
How close did he come to being captured? Well, he was captured once in the City Hall in Cork, along with Terence McSweeney. Yeah, this is a really famous instance as well, Like, which like, I think people are surprised to realise does involve Liam Lynch. So Liam Lynch receives a communication early August 1921 intended for Cork Number 1 Brigade. And of course, uh, Terence McSweeney is the head of Cork Number 1 Brigade. We don't know the exact nature of this communication, but Liam deems it urgent enough to go into Cork City and directly give it to McSweeney himself. I think maybe it was something to do with the IRB because they're both on um, they're both involved in the IRB in, the, in their respective areas. He gets to City Hall on the night in question and he meets McSweeney and then he has a conference with other Cork number one leaders including McSweeney. Now as you know in the story of Terence McSweeney intelligence gave away there was a meeting of all these prominent Cork number one commanders including Liam Lynch OC of Cork number two they're all rounded up and captured and taken to Cork jail. Liam Lynch is one of two individuals who gives a false name. It's not very clear to me why the others didn't think of giving a false name but Liam Lynch had the wherewithal to kind of give false identification. Now at the time of Cork jail a hunger strike has begun and one of the individuals on this hunger strike is Michael or Mick Fitzgerald as is commonly known he was head of the Fermoy Battalion he was involved in the Fermoy Arms Raid that Lynch planned and directly took part in September 1919 Fitzgerald is held on remand for several months you know without trial and so on and he begins his hunger strike in July 1920 and he's one of these Cork jail prisons to do that and Liam Lynch and him meet for the last time in jail they were very close comrades Fitzgerald was actually a little older than Liam nearly 10 years older than Liam I, I think I always think maybe Liam Lynch looked at him as a bit of a big brother but they have enormous respect to each other and Lynch had said though does that Fitzgerald was one of his idols and he said this even before he died so Liam Lynch briefly joins the Sunger Strike in Cork Jail but he's released because the authorities don't know who they have um, Terence McSweeney of course is sent to Brixton Prison and of course we know the famous and tragic outcome of his own hunger strike as well and uh, Mick Fitzgerald dies on hunger strike after 67 days he dies several days before McSweeney that October and a lot of Liam Lynch's comrades would have talked about how Fitzgerald's death devastated him there's a really beautifully written account of when they have Mick Fitzgerald laid out in Fermoy in the church there that they bring Lynch to see him because Lynch is on the run of course he can't go to the funeral and they open the coffin and Lynch shakes like you know Fitzgerald's very withered hand at that point like you know and like Florio O'Donnell well it's actually Tommaso Reardon who's Fitzgerald's biographer does a kind of really vivid description of Lynch walking down the streets of Fermoy and making a vow to strike back against the British but I I think there really is something in that because a lot of the contemporaries do talk about the impact of Fitzgerald's death and Lynch would have felt that with some close comrades who died during the times of conflict so Fitzgerald had an enormous impact on him and we see that in his request when he died to be buried with him. Gerard Shannon, author of To Declare a Republic, a comprehensive and a new biography on the life of anti-treaty IRA leader Liam Lynch. Coming up in part three, the final part, the poignant story on the death of Lynch which basically brought the civil war to an end. Join me after the break. <laughs> 